you've got to equate this to a lot of people who don't want any age of consent, which would virtually legalise pedophilia. Tasmania has gone from having some of the worst criminal laws in Australia in terms of discrimination against gay men to having some of the best. I ain't going to vote for a baby killer and a homosexual lover. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Canadian blood donors draw equal treatment, Tasmania's liberation turns 25, and remembering a U.S. Baptist preacher's final solution. All that and more this week now that you found This Way Out. I'm Marcos Nahera. And I'm Michael Taylor Gray. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending April 30th, 2022. Calling it a significant milestone toward a more inclusive blood donation system, Health Canada has finally lifted its ban on blood donations by men who have sex with men. Canadian Blood Services asked the government last year to remove the antiquated restriction that was put in place at the height of the AIDS pandemic, long before screening processes made it possible to detect HIV-infected blood. As of September 30th, prospective donors will not be asked about their sexual orientation, but rather about whether they engage in what is deemed high-risk sexual behavior. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party promised to lift the ban during the 2015 federal election campaign, and his government has been taking heat for failing to deliver. Similar restrictions on blood donations have been lifted in at least seven other countries. The bans continue in Australia, the UK, and the US, but in all three, the required celibacy period for men who have sex with men has been reduced to three months. A bill to ban conversion therapy in the Mexican state of Baja, California, has been vetoed by Governor Marina del Pilar Avila Almeida. The measure included fines and prison sentences of up to six years for convicted practitioners. It passed in the state's Congress on April 21st by an overwhelming vote of 20 to 4. Activist Eduardo Arrendando said that Avila had bowed to what he called the pressure that conservative groups put on her in an interview with the Los Angeles Blade. She's returning the bill to Congress for unspecified modifications. Critics charge that those modifications could allow the medically debunked and often harmful practice to legally continue. Seven other jurisdictions in Mexico have already banned conversion therapy, according to The Blade. While Russia's independent press has become collateral damage in President Vladimir Putin's war on the people of Ukraine, his government has not forgotten to crack down on queer-affirming social media. The magistrate court of the Taganka district in Moscow has fined Facebook and Instagram owner Meta 4 million rubles for refusing to take down content propagating the LGBT plus community. That's about 53,000 U.S. dollars. Meta was branded an extremist organization by a Tversky court in Moscow in March. The prosecutor general's office compared Meta to ISIS. TikTok lost a ruling for a similar offense this week, costing owner ByteDance 2 million rubles. That's about 27,000 U.S. dollars. 
Russia's powerful communications regulator has also asked courts to find Google's YouTube for allowing gay propaganda. The so-called no-promo-homo law, pushed by Putin, was enacted in 2013. It prohibits disseminating propaganda of LGBT plus identities to minors. The European Court of Human Rights ruled in 2017 that the law is discriminatory and, overall, serves no legitimate public interest. However, Putin routinely thumbs his nose at rulings from that court. The U.S. state of Tennessee is a trailblazer in persecuting transgender athletes. Republican Governor Bill Lee signed a bill this week to deprive public school districts of state funding if they allow trans student athletes to compete according to their authentic genders. The percentage of state funding to be withheld is not clear. Neither is whether the law applies equally to trans boys and trans girls. Like a number of other Republican-controlled state governments, a Tennessee law enacted last year requires trans athletes to compete in middle school and high school sports under the gender listed on their birth certificates. The ACLU's Tennessee affiliate has already filed suit against the law on behalf of a 14-year-old trans boy. That case is not scheduled to be heard until at least March of next year. And the new law to deprive funds is set to go into effect July 1st. Queer legal advocates are expected to ask for a temporary restraining order to prevent that. Another bill is expected to get approval from Tennessee's Republican-dominated government. It extends the trans-athlete ban to female college sports. Yet another would protect public school teachers from being disciplined for refusing to use a trans student's preferred pronouns. That bill also protects school districts from being sued over the issue. High school teachers in a Kansas City, Missouri area district can no longer display LGBTQ safe space stickers or any other confirmation of their queer ally status. A Green Valley School District spokesperson insisted that all students should feel safe, not just in classrooms where teachers choose to display a particular sign. Gay former student Travis Holt told the Kansas City Star... I found comfort with some of the teachers there, and that's maybe not going to be the same for students going forward. Queer advocates cite evidence that having a safe space on campus helps curb suicide attempts by closeted young people. They're pressing the school district to reconsider its offensive refusal to prevent queer students from finding support on campus, support they unfortunately might not find at home. Oklahoma is now the first in the U.S. to prohibit the use of non-binary gender markers on state birth certificates. Republican Governor Kevin Stitt signed the bill on April 26th, his latest contribution to his party's increasingly anti-transgender right-wing strategy. Governor Stitt's signature caps the backlash to a lawsuit against the State Department of Health last year. The settlement allowed trans people to change the gender marker on their birth certificates to non-binary. After transphobic conservatives howled, Stitt overruled the health department by executive order. A lawsuit to challenge the executive order is in federal court, but the state has yet to file an official response. Now Oklahoma's legislature is backing the governor, and the male or female-only gender marker requirement is carved in stone. It's the first time trans people have been attacked in this particular way in a U.S. state. Copycats are sure to follow. The National Center for Transgender Equality says that only 15 U.S. states in the District of Columbia allow gender markers other than male or female. Vermont will join those states on July 1st. 
the federal government began allowing an ex-gender marker on U.S. passport applications in early April. In the land down under, there will be no LGBTQ rainbows flying from West Wimmera Shire's government flagpoles for the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia. Last week, the Council of the Western Victoria Town rejected a proposal to observe Ida Hobbit on May 17th by a vote of 3-2. to two. Shire Mayor Bruce Meyer claimed that it was a moral decision by the local government. His cause was not exactly helped by his defense of the council vote on ABC Radio. Gay marriage has been legalized. You've got to equate this to there are many people who want uh, the marriage act changed so that 12-year-old girls can marry. There are a lot of people who don't want any age of consent, which would virtually legalize pedophilia. Is it a moral judgment simply to show support to members of your community on one day of the year? I don't see why any particular group should have to be uh, singled out for special treatment. Wimmera Pride Project spokesperson Patrick Quain found it just mind-boggling to hear in this day and age an elected leader like the mayor conflate LGBTQI plus inclusion with pedophilia, as he later told ABC Radio. In Quain's words, flying the flag is not a moral judgment. It's the bare minimum a council can do to allow their queer community to understand that they are welcome here. The Victorian Pride Lobby has called for the mayor's apology. Finally, the Walt Disney Company has refused to cut 12 seconds from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness for Saudi Arabian censors. It's a lesbian character's brief reference to her two moms. Same-gender love, cross-dressing, and being transgender are crimes in the Middle Eastern Islamic nation, punishable by public whippings and steep fines. So the Marvel film has been banned from the country's movie theaters. The sheikdom of murderous Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman banned Disney's Eternals in November over the passionate on-screen kiss of a married gay male couple. It also banned the recent celebrated remake of the iconic movie musical West Side Story because it has a trans character. Disney refused to censor those movies, too. By contrast, Warner Brothers recently bowed to Chinese censors and cut a few seconds from the latest Fantastic Beasts movie, confirming hero Arvis Dumbledore's gayness. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending April 30th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm Marcos Najera. Stay safe. Are you signed up for our new e-newsletter, Inside This Way Out? We send them out every few weeks, briefly reviewing recent and previewing upcoming programming and deepening the conversation about your favorite international LGBTQ radio show. All you have to do is email us at info at thiswayout.org. And be assured that we don't share or sell your email address or anything about you to anyone else, and we never will. 
Again, to receive the occasional Inside This Way Out, and let us know you're listening, email us at info at thiswayout.org. I figured a way to get rid of all lesbians and queers, but I couldn't get it past the Congress. You may be dying to know how to get rid of all the lesbians and queers, but you'll have to wait until later in the program. Don't know much about history. It's time for another This Way Out Rewind. Rewind. Tasmania is celebrating 25 years of LGBTQ equality. On May 1, 1997, lawmakers in Australia's island state passed legislation to decriminalize sexual relationships between men, the last jurisdiction in the country to do that. It had been one of the harshest anti-gay sex laws in the world, providing for more than 20 years of imprisonment, and Tasmania's reputation for intense homophobia overall was legendary. One of the most well-known leaders of the decades-long struggle was Rodney Croom of the Tasmanian Gay and Lesbian Rights Group. He was on hand for Governor Barbara Baker's 25th anniversary reception commemorating the historic victory this week. That's hardly where Croom thought he'd be when he spoke with This Way Out correspondent Greg Redding just days after the vote back in early May 1st of May at 5pm the Tasmanian Upper House passed the Gay Law Reform Bill without any amendments whatsoever which means that Tasmania has gone from having some of the worst criminal laws in Australia in terms of discrimination against gay men to having some of the best. We now have an equal age of consent, no promotion and encouragement laws, nothing like that. All we have is perfect equality before the law. Did you feel it was touch and go at any time there with those various amendments which they were arguing for? Yes it was. Uh, We didn't know until right at the end whether the bill was going to get through unamended or whether it was going to be wrecked by by these discriminatory amendments. Of course, the problem wasn't just getting bad amendments. The problem was that if any of those amendments had got up, the bill would have uh, been wrecked because none of those amendments would have been acceptable to the lower house and we would have had to wait another 12 months for the um, bill to come up again. But as it happened... None of that occurred, and uh, we got the best bill, the more than we could have hoped for, really. Why did you get stirred up in the very first place, Rodney? Why did I get involved? Mm. Um, well, <laughs> there have been quite a few people who have been involved in the Tasmanian Gay Lesbian Rights Group from the beginning, not just me. Uh, but I guess I've taken on a, a high public profile over the issue, uh, and that's really something that was set at the beginning of our campaign in 1988 when there was hardly anyone... Well, there was no one, in fact, who was willing to be public on the issue. There was a great deal of invisibility and repression of homosexual people in Tasmania. And I guess I was just the least unwilling of everyone involved at that stage to go public. Um, it was still a difficult decision for me to make, but I decided I'd do it where no one else seemed to want to do it. And uh, I've just kept on going since then. Did you ever feel like giving up? 
No, I've never felt like giving up. From the mainland, what you see really is the Tasmanian Upper House rejecting law reform again and again, and then finally on May the 1st passing it. But the perspective down here is quite different. It hasn't been one of constant losses and then a victory in the end. We've had constant victories all the way along. Victories which have chiefly been constituted by an increase in public support for gay law reform, an increase in institutional support as well, throughout that nine-year period. To an extent where I think Tasmania could now be said to be one of the most tolerant places in the country when it comes to gay men and lesbians. Uh, and that's been because of the gay law reform campaign, a campaign which has been very high profile, very vis visible, and which has reached into the hearts and minds of every Tasmanian. Every single person in this state has had to sit up and think about where they stand on this issue. And uh, that's something that occurs very infrequently in communities um, in the Western world, where people can just sit back and ignore issues such as this if they wish to, but not in Tasmania. It's been too divisive, too heated, too high profile, and the result has been that uh, a very large number of people indeed have come to the conclusion that gay men and lesbians deserve equality. You have had, though, right up until the end, a very vocal opposition within the uh, general community. Um, why do you think that was particularly the case? Well, people have written reams and reams <laughs> on why there's such a vocal and militant homophobic movement in Tasmanian society, um, and people have come up with all number of different explanations. Some have focused on our history, uh, particularly our 19th century history, with the association between convictism and homosexuality, and how that association still scares members of the Tasmanian establishment who don't want to unearth the dark side of our history. Other people have looked at uh, the way that the state's economy has been floundering uh, and the transition that we've been making very painfully over the last 15 years from from um, an industrial base based on hydroelectric electric power to clean green, so-called clean green industries. Um, and that's caused a lot of heartache for a lot of people and people have concentrated on that as an explanation. That is that uh, people have taken out their tensions, tensions and frustrations uh, on this issue. Uh, whatever the explanation is, it has been a very heated and divisive issue and the anti-gay lobby has been very militant. But at the very end, when the last vote was taken, there was actually only one member of the upper house who voted against it. All the others realised the game was up and they just gave up and sat back and let it go through, which was something that was utterly astounding for us given that they'd fought so hard for so long to keep those laws. Tell us about the reaction that, that night. Well, like I said, it was a very tense day. Um, the supporters of reform had managed to make sure that there was a majority on our side all the way through, but members kept swapping over. I guess they wanted to maintain some little level of anti-gay credibility by voting against us on at least one vote. So it was very tense. We didn't know if we were going to get it or not, right up until the last vote. So our first reaction was one of relief. After waiting for weeks and weeks uh, for the parliamentary process to finally conclude, we had this wonderful outcome. And many of us started to cry, um, tears of joy and tears of relief. And then that evening, once it had begun to sink in what had actually happened, there was a spontaneous gathering at a cafe in Hobart called Cafe Chaos, about 150 people, mostly gay men and lesbians. Um, and the feeling there was electric. This had finally happened, it had finally gone, gone through. We were equal. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful. And then throughout the weekend there were more celebrations and uh, there were still many people who were in shock I had people coming up to me and saying it's really happened hasn't it they can't change it can they they can't go back on what they did it's done isn't it they couldn't believe that it actually happened after so long 
they couldn't believe that the victory was so conclusive. So what's ahead now for the uh, gay and lesbian community in Tasmania? I think what we'll be seeing in Tasmania is a bit of a flowering of gay and lesbian culture. Certainly the law reform debate has seen a lot of cultural as well as political work occurring in Tasmania around gay and lesbian issues. But hopefully we'll see even more of that. Obviously we'd be encouraging gay and lesbian people who have left the state to come back and encouraging visitors who have been boycotting Tasmania to come now as well. And what's ahead for yourself, Rodney? Well, I'll still be interested and involved in gay and lesbian rights issues, but I'd like to take a back seat uh, because I've been fairly high profile up until now. Uh, and on issues like anti-discrimination, um, I'm happy to do some background work, but I'd be keen to encourage other people to take on the advocacy roles uh, and not myself. I find it difficult being recognised in the street, and it happens a fair bit. Not that it's ever negative. People are very supportive, particularly at the moment, uh, full of congratulations. But uh, still, I'd like to go back to being slightly less high profile and see if I can recapture a bit of anonymity. Congratulations and uh, thank you for your work over the years and the rest of the team. Thank you very much. We couldn't have done it without you. Anonymity has not been in the cards for Tasmanian LGBTQ activist Rodney Croom, interviewed in 1997 by Greg Redding. Croom's ongoing work has shown in big ways. For example, voters in the once wretchedly homophobic state supported marriage equality above the national average in 2017. Its anti-discrimination laws and protections for trans and intersex people are among Australia's strongest. Still, more work needs to be done. In a recent op-ed in The Examiner, Croom listed several items on his gay agenda, including the establishment of policies allowing trans prisoners to be held in facilities according to their gender identity. He also calls for bans on medical interventions for intersex babies and debunked conversion therapy practices. Tasmania will note another milestone this week when the state government reveals the results of its very first LGBTIQA plus community survey. We're going to keep on loving boldly. Keep on loving boldly. Keep on loving boldly. Never turning back. Never turning back. Hi, this is Greg Luganis. I'm Margaret Cho. This is Edmund White. Hi, I'm Kate Quinton. Hello, I'm Armistead Maupin. I'm Clive Barker. This is Judy Shepard. Hello, this is Ian McKellen. I'm Jerry Jewell. I'm Stephen Fry. I'm Harvey Milk. Hi, this is Janice Ian. My name's Robbie Rogers. This is Essex Hemphill. I'm Ellen DeGeneres. I'm Tab Hunter. I'm Billy Bean. This is John Cameron Mitchell. Hello, I'm Bruce Valange. This is Bishop Gene Robinson. I'm Reverend Troy Perry. I'm Robbie Kaplan. I'm Andrew Sullivan. This is Augustine Burroughs. I'm Barney Frank. I'm Cleve Jones. My name is Kate Kendall. I'm Dan Savage. Hi, I'm Daryl Stevens. And you've discovered This Way Out. This Way Out. This Way Out. The international radio show for all our sexually diverse communities. How dare they? And those who love them. You ain't gonna get this nowhere else. Oh my. And that's the truth. There's a heck of a lot more stupid on social media these days than there was 10 years ago, from Pizzagate to Ivermectin to Jewish space lasers. Some fear it could get worse. 
like if a right-wing gazillionaire took over a major platform. In such an unlikely occurrence, would we find ourselves with an explosion of stories like the one This Way Out's Greg Gordon filed in May of 2012? Lots of land under starry skies above Don't fence me in Let me ride through the wide open country that I love Don't fence me in Let me be by myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me out forever but I ask you please Don't fence me in As if there wasn't enough actual anti-LGBT genocide in the world the hysterical screed of a North Carolina preacher has gone viral. Pastor Charles L. Worley's jaw-dropping rant began with a condemnation of President Obama's support for marriage equality. I tell you right now, I was disappointed bad, uh, but I tell you right there, as sorry as you can get, the Bible's again it, God's again it, I'm again it, and if you've got any sense, you're again it. I had a way, I figured a way out, a way to get rid of all the lesbians and queers, but I couldn't get it past the Congress. <laughs> Build a great, big, large fence, 150 or 100 mile long, put all the lesbians in there, fly over and drop some food. Do the same thing with the queers and the homosexuals and have that fence electrified till they can't get out, feed them. And, and you know what? In a few years, they'll die out. Do you know why they can't reproduce? All of these. Hey, I, I tell you right now, somebody said, who are you going to vote for? I ain't going to vote for a baby killer and a homosexual lover. You said, did you mean to say that? You better believe I did. God have mercy. Someone needs to tell Pastor Charles L. Worley that homosexuals are generally made by heterosexual parents, and some might also say by God. Love not me! Love not me! Love not me! A good 1,500 people came out to show Catawba County, North Carolina, that they were not about to be fenced in by Pastor Worley. The Love Not Hate demonstration drew people from across the state and beyond to the Catawba Justice Center, where activists thought their protests would gain more visibility and have more space than it would in the isolated community of Maiden, where Worley's Providence Road Baptist Church is located. Some Worley supporters engaged in confrontations with his opponents, but the afternoon remained peaceful. Local media reported that Worley stayed away from the protests on the advice of counsel. Don't fence me in. Preacher Charles L. Worley has apparently retired, but his independent Providence Road Baptist Church is alive and kicking its hardline King James only message online and off with the heterosexual nuclear family at the center of its doctrine. By the way, they're on Facebook, but don't worry, they're not on Twitter. Yet.
Thanks for Finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Marcos Nahavra and Michael Taylor Gray, produced by Brian DeShazer. Sam Cook, John Farnham, John Barrowman, and Judy Small performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentham, and donors Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at Post Office Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on Lofty 88.9 FM, Adelaide Hills, South Australia, WCRS, Columbus, Ohio, KTWH, Two Harbors, Minnesota, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.